welcome to the Digiday Podcast. I'm Kaylee Barber, media editor at Digiday. And I'm Tim Peterson, senior media editor at Digiday. Tim, you had the interview this week and you spoke with Donna Speciale, who is the president of U.S. ad sales and marketing at Televisa Univision. And if I'm not mistaken, this episode is timed with the TV Upfront week, right? Yeah. Um, actually, the day this episode comes out is uh, when Televisa Univision has their Upfront presentation. So worked out. Got it. So I imagine that that's probably a large focus of the conversation uh, with Donna this week. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's where we start by talking. But then um, <laughs> I want to it, when, anytime someone t- starts talking about measurement, then I just will go down that rabbit hole. And so we talk about a lot about measurement, which figures very much into the upfront because we talk about the measurements used as currencies um, for upfront deals and TV ad deals in general, because there's this huge shift that's going on in the industry right now. And we get into one of the important aspects of that shift, which is Nielsen's panel-based measurement historically um, has underrepresented diverse audiences like Hispanic audiences, which is obviously TU's um, primary audience. Um, And so Donna talks about how they've been evaluating uh, these new measurement systems, including Nielsen's new big data-based measurement system, Nielsen 1, to see um, to what extent they improve the representation. And um, she she gives some stats on how significant the improvements are and how much underrepresentation there really was with Nielsen's previous uh, rule, not even previous, it's still in market, but it, Nielsen's panel-based measurement system. All right. Well, I'm very curious to hear what more she has to say. I'll let you guys get into it. Thanks, Tim. Thanks, Kayla. Donna Speciale, welcome to the Digiday Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Tim. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So we are recording this interview the week before Upfront Week, and the episode's actually coming out the day of Televisa Univision's uh, Upfront presentation on May 16th. At this point, because I feel like the, the Upfront calendar and kind of timeline shifts each year, especially in recent years. What's the status of your conversations with brands and agencies at this point? Yeah, um, so you're right. But um, listen, Upfront is a moment in time um, where we all obviously get together, um, you know, presentations aside. Um, it is a, in my mind, we talk 365 days. So uh, Upfront for us is more of a conversation that we're having more for futures because it's a futures game. But for us, we have been staying true to the vision that we started two and a half years ago, where we have been having major conversations with marketers about the growth and the growth opportunity that they have and the business results that they get with the Hispanic audience. There, um, We have been making tremendous progress with clients um, coming on board and leading into the Hispanic audience when they haven't before. But there's still a lot of work to be done with clients in leading into this audience and seeing the true value. Um, You know, now, you know, two plus years ago when the census got redone, we are now uh, almost 20% of the population. And I'm sure you have seen um, with Grammys and Bad Bunny now on Time Magazine, the first uh, Latino on the cover, Spanish-speaking person on the cover of Time, we are now in mainstream. 
the Hispanic audience is now part of mainstream. So the conversations are that we have been having are real. And so this upfront is not going to be any different, but I think the momentum that you will see with us this year are, is going to be stronger than ever. Got it. And what is there anything in particular you attribute that to either like new developments, creating opportunity for that money to come or obstacles being removed? It's been a lot of education, to be honest. Um, there's just a lot of marketers and agencies that just don't know about this particular audience and haven't been leaning in. It used to be more of a separate entity where you would have general market and multiculture as two separate entities. And now, given that everybody's realizing that we're now a holistic country, marketers are now seeing it as a holistic conversation, which is good. I mean, we've made huge progress, and that's that's such a great conversation. And a lot of priorities with clients with DNI, with diversity and inclusion, has now put it at the forefront, um, which is great. That doesn't mean that they still don't know education. What we've been working on over the past two-plus years is building our capabilities to make it simple and easy for marketers to lean in for us, to look at us as that resource for them for all U.S. Hispanics. So we now have audience capabilities that didn't exist over two years ago. We now have social capabilities. We now uh, built a content studio called ASI Studios for brand storytelling and really connecting to the consumer with those stories that resonate with our audience. That didn't exist two years ago. So we are now at parity with all of the other media companies that are leaning into these areas, especially with targeting, which especially with all the streaming that's happening, where we are now basically, we have a seat at the table. Um, and last up front, don't know if you watched it or mm, saw it, yep. but um, our upfront presentation really shed a light on all of that and uh, really, um, you know, now uh, we are. Uh, we have a, a pretty big seat at the table now. Yeah. So what are the audience capabilities you all are pitching this year? Well, basically, we just now, we have a lot of clients that have leaned in. Um, and, well, two things that happened. We built the, we built our capabilities because there wasn't any, but then we've also leaned in because we realized that the uh, measurement and the data pieces were not, were inadequate. Um we did some work with Truthset where they found um, that um, clients who actually were using third-party data sets, um, that 70% uh, of the impressions were being missed because uh, four out of 10 Hispanics were not being targeted correctly. There was a huge miss representation of the Hispanic audience. We have been working now with those third-party third data sets to bring life to that, to bring uh, bring that up. But what we also did is we took it upon ourselves and created our own U.S. Hispanic, uh, Hispanic household graph that we now reach close to 100% of U.S. Hispanics. Clients now have been leaning into that graph and utilizing that graph with their with their um, with for their data, and uh, I would say we have a little over a hundred that we have been utilizing since uh, since I announced it last up front. So the good news is is that we're getting to a place where the representation is getting to the right place. The measurement, and I know maybe you know you and I probably oh, want to talk about, want to talk about that because that seems to be a hot topic of conversation yes. these days. Um, not that it always hasn't been, but it seems to be heating up um, with 
with measurement, which is a critical factor that obviously going into this upfront, but obviously for future. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, on that point, like representation was one of the issues with Nielsen and like that, you know, brought the industry to this point where, you know, it's been dominated, you know, Nielsen's dominated for decades. And now there's this big opening um, for a whole multitude of reasons. But among them, Nielsen didn't do a sufficient job of measuring diverse audiences. Um, it's something that you know, Byron Allen, for one, was really outspoken about um, early on. How are you seeing that play out? Or I imagine you and your team have been evaluating all the various measurement providers, the currency contender, you know, which ones to, you know, use as currencies. What's been your read on their ability to measure diverse audiences at this point? Yeah. I mean, there's definitely, uh, you know, with the, with the current data set, which is panel, there has been underrepresentation for minority audiences. And everybody has known it. Um, it. It was hard to quantify, but everybody realized it. Same reason that we saw it when a lot of people were looking at the other third-party data sets to do new currencies, whether it was iSpot or VideoAmp. Um, we were leaning into those sets as well. So the big data now that Nielsen, um, you know, started pushing and started going into, and the reason that they, you know, we and we all wanted them to, mm -hmm. right? The industry wants to go to big data. That's why everybody's looking at VideoAmp. That's why everybody's looking at iSpot because that's these are those are big data sets, not panel. Nielsen also knew that they were going to do it, and we wanted them to because if they're going to go um, into their new um, system with Nielsen One, they had to get into the big data. So we have now started seeing it. They have given um, everyone access to it over the past, um, I would say, six months. We have like six to seven months of data that we've been analyzing, and it's astonishing, astonishing how much um, the Hispanic audience was underrepresented. I'm talking mm -hmm. double-digit changes oh, wow. that we are seeing with the Hispanic market. So we are ready to, to lean in. Um, and I... I'm talking to the holding companies and our clients that we can't wait any longer. You know, we've been waiting too long. Mm -hmm. We've all known that it's been misrepresented and underrepresented, but the fact that we now have the facts and we are now and started analyzing and doing side-by-sides and in certain instances seeing anywhere from 20 to 30 to 35 percent depending on what network you're looking at and what show you're looking at we can't wait any longer because decisions are being made by marketers with the wrong data which is one of the reasons that you're probably not seeing all the advertisers leaning into the hispanic audience because the data that they're using is inaccurate and so they're making decisions on bad data. So the time is now for us to lean in right now, and Nielsen is supplying it. If vendors, media companies, and or agencies want to do it, you can look at both data sets. That, that is big, the big 
conversation that has been happening over the past couple of weeks. Right. And Nielsen came out and said right now they're going to use the panel data, but they are going to be getting um, – they're putting in the accreditation for the big data, and um, they – stated that the goal is that hopefully by 4Q that it will be accredited. Right. And so does that inhibit you from being able to transact against the Nielsen One data that's like better representation as you just laid out for this year's upfront deals? As far as I'm concerned, I want to transact on it. Okay. So now that's me. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so we are going, just like every negotiation, we're going one by one, holding company by holding company, talking to each of their investment leads and their research, you know, research leads, and talking about um, leaning into to the big data set. Got it. And I imagine as much as the on the buy side, they want that better representation, the more accurate representation, the cynical part of me could also foresee them being like, well, if we stick on the panel, that's probably a better deal for us financially. And then we'll just switch to the big data set next year when hopefully the economy is better and we're not holding on to our wallets as much. Is that something you're having to prepare for? Uh, yeah, it's not really a financial discussion. I think that the 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 it tends to be um, more of standardization. Okay. Because um, not all of the media companies are leaning into the big data right now with Nielsen. So what they what the holding companies are determining is, should we do, you know, Televisa Univision on one data set? Should we, but, you know, should we do NBCU on another data set? But the irony of this whole thing is that, Everybody over the past year, year and a half, has been talking about a multi-currency conversation. So everybody has been leaning in and doing testing, whatever you want to say, have been leaning into the other different data sets to bring in multi-currency because everybody's saying that we should not have one measurement company, Okay. I have no problem having multiple measurement companies. Um, that doesn't mean Nielsen should or should not be used. That just means, you know, competition's good. I have no problem with that. So individuals and companies have been using different currencies for different clients. So it doesn't make any sense to me why Nielsen's big data can also be utilized as well. Right. Yeah. And especially right. if like Nielsen were to get universal, because it seems like it all boils down to universal support. Like, yes, multi-currency, um, like we had um, a you know video series recently, The Future of TV, and one of the episodes was on measurement. I spoke with Kelly Metz from Omnicom, Broad Ramesh from Group M, Brian Hughes from yep. Magna. And across the board, they all said, the biggest thing we need right now is universal support. Like whether it's iSpot, Comscore, Nielsen, VideoAmp, who have you, we just need to be able to use that across all of the various networks and streaming services. And right now there's just, it's a hodgepodge. Some shops are iSpot shops, some are with VideoAmp, some are sticking with Nielsen, some haven't said. Are you, it sounds like you're kind of like, look, we'll support whoever, but I imagine there is something of a limit. Have you kind of picked which are the measurement providers you're supporting as currencies? Listen, for us, we we work with all of them because it's really up to the client. 
So we have been doing a lot of testing with video amp. We have been looking at the iSpot stuff. Um, so for us, you know, my, my biggest issue is that this has been decades that Hispanics have been underrepresented. And so we now, you know, with Niels's big data, have um, truth and we all realize that it's been underrepresented. So what are we waiting for? I just have a real um, philosophical problem with this is that, so because it was okay to transact on panel before, even though we knew it was wrong, now we know that there's numbers that are basically showing that it was really off. I mean, I'm not talking 2%. I'm talking 20, 30, 35%, depending on how you look at it. Yeah, that's not a statistical error. Right. And are you seeing similar like level of representation with iSpot and VideoAmp? Or are there any signs where there may be underrepresentation or well, perhaps even overrepresentation? Although that's in your favor, so I don't know that you would call out overrepresentation. You know, we started talking to them over a year ago. And when we started looking into, when we started realizing that um, when we did the analysis with TrueSet, we brought it to the attention of VideoAmp and iSpot. And so we've been working actually very closely with VideoAmp. Not that we haven't been working with iSpot, but VideoAmp really has leaned in and realized that they weren't using um, as big of a as a representation of the Hispanic audience. So they have been really leaning in and utilizing our expertise to get the sets to where they need to be, to get the data to be accurately represented. So they've been working with us, which has been great. Um, but, you know, a lot of a lot of this is taking, you know, doing some testing, and we've had clients leaning in to, to utilize them and test with us. So, yeah, it, it has been working. But I'm with you. I think I think it's going to be interesting for the industry to make a determination on are we going to have one measurement company or multiple. Personally, I think multiple is going to be challenging because everybody does want to have some type of standard so you can compare apples and apples. Um, and the only way to get to cross-platform measurement is with big data sets. I mean, that is the key to this whole thing. That's the reason that, I mean, for, for me, I'm doing it because it's underrepresentation, uh, under but plus we need to get to a cross-platform measurement um, so we really can look across the board, which will be a huge benefit for us because we, of, we are one of the very few media companies, I don't, we might be one of the only, but that have platforms across and, and inventory and impressions across multiple platforms. But what I mean by that is local and national. So yes, we have streaming, which was, we launched VIX last year. So we have streaming, we have digital, we have national TV, but we also have local. I also have audio and radio. So we are true cross-platform impressions across the Hispanic footprint for us. So, and that is massive reach because a lot of our platforms are unduplicated. And that's how clients are going to want to lean in and buy us. Okay. So when you're talking cross-platform, we're not just talking like cross-platform measurement standards in terms of just video. Because that, that then leads to the YouTube conversation of like, where does YouTube fall in this? Because it feels like there are very differing opinions on whether, you know, 
Nielsen, wa- like all the different you know currency contenders, to what extent they should be counting YouTube or how they should be counting YouTube? Should there be some weighting of content quality? Yeah, I mean that's a that's a whole conversation. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I agree. I mean, you know, we are judged all of you know traditional media companies and ourselves are all judged on our quality, um, and I think YouTube shouldn't get a pass on that either. Okay. You know, I mean, personally, not all video is created equal. We're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsor, and we'll be right back. But then it's interesting because, like, from, you know, ad buyers that I've talked to and even, you know, kind of, you know, thinking of my own viewership habits, it's like, well, I watch a lot of YouTube on TV. I watch a lot of, like, high-quality YouTube videos where there, like, is a whole crew producing it. And, like, some of the stuff that I watch on TV... Well, I don't really watch clip shows, but I'm aware like clip shows are on TV. America's Funniest Home Videos. Like, yeah, that's basically YouTube show or would be at this point. Well, what's funny is quality is in the eye of the beholder. Right. So who is supposed to make that judgment call? I can't answer that. Yeah. No, that's like a whole <laughs> com- it's, a it's whole. one of my favorite conversations at the moment because it's also so the US Joint Industry Committee, you all are part of the JIC. You're one of the you know founding mm-hmm. members of the JIC. Um and the conversation lately has turned towards who's not a member of the JIC at this point. For example, Disney's not part of the JIC. Um and then a few weeks ago, Nielsen said Eh, maybe we'll join eventually, but not right now. Um, YouTube, not a member of the JIC, although I've been told by um, people on the JIC side that YouTube has been given an invite. They just haven't accepted it at this point. What's given, again, that TU is part of the JIC, what's the conversation around the membership? Because it feels like that's going to, if it's not already, it's going to become a sticking point. If the purpose of the JIC is to standardize, there's already been the currency baseline requirements that have been published by the JIC. You have agency holding companies, Roku's part of the JIC, as well as the VAB, you know, industry organizations like mm-hmm. the VAB um, that are part of the open AP as well. But then you have these big companies, Disney, um, Netflix isn't part of it, if I remember. Nielsen not, not participating, yet. YouTube not part of it. It feels like at some point that's going to be a point of friction. Yeah, it's um, everybody's invited. Okay, this was not um, all, every company um, is open to join. You know, it got started pretty quickly because I think everybody believes, unfortunately, things take so long in our business. So, um, you know, myself, NBCU, OpenAP, even the agency holding companies, again, kind of what I'm saying is we can't wait any longer, right? When we're talking to measurement um, and even with standardizations of what we want to do. So, you know, Disney... Is getting an invitation has gotten an invitation. I just think some members or some companies may want to take a wait and see approach. I I don't believe it's about oh I don't want to join. I think it's about you know maybe not at this particular moment. Let me really see what it's all about. Um, and again, if you're not a member, that doesn't mean. You know, I'm not on the initial, uh, I'm not in all the conversations that uh, David Levy and the teams are having, but, um, you know, we do speak to them, um, you know, and they were all invited to, you know, to that 
to the launch uh, the launch of the, of that event last uh, last week. So I just think it's a matter of time. Listen, I was um, I was one of the original founders of OpenAP. Same thing happened. You know, we opened the opened the uh, doors to anybody that wanted to join. And, you know, at the time, Turner, WarnerMedia, you know, raised their hand and uh, Viacom and uh, and and uh, Fox. And at the time, NBC, you didn't join right away, you know. And again, they wanted to take a wait-to-see approach. So I, I don't look at it that people don't want to join. I'm looking at it on, okay, let me just see, you know, let me, let me wait, just, you know, take a beat back and then see what it goes in. But I think everybody will, will be included. The fact that the holding companies are there and we're doing it with, you know, that's key because you can't just you can't just have the selling side do this, especially if the goal our goal is to obviously make standards where everybody you know is in agreement on what you know it should be looking like across the board. You need input from everybody. Right. It's not gonna. It won't work if it's not. It's if it's not a consensus from the industry. Yeah, and especially because it feels to me like one of the more important aspects of the JIC is this calibration panel that got talked about in the currency baseline requirements of, and I think it's Kantar, or at least Kantar, who's like considered the pole position to be kind of handling that. But basically going back to this question, of, okay, if they're going to be multi-currencies, like different measurement providers, how the hell do you create an apples to apples across those or enough of one? And it seems like this calibration panel through the JIC would be that, you know, kind of um, Rosetta Stone for the measurements. And if the JIC is going to be, if not directly responsible for that, at least have a big hand in that, it seems like, well, that is, I would think, be incentive enough for companies to join the JIC just to have a say. In uh, have a say. Yep. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. I mean, I, I do. That's why I think they do themselves a disservice for not being on there just so they have a voice. Um, and so, again, I don't think that Disney does not want to be part of it. And it would be great if, you know, YouTube does join. I'm psyched that Roku and Allison is in it. I think that's great. Um, so it's just to me, it's just I just think it's timing. Right. And, and speaking of timing, I mean, there is something of a deadline where, it, you know, a little over a year from now, Nielsen transitions to Nielsen. Like, it's a completely new measurement landscape because Nielsen's legacy measurement goes away. Yeah. I mean, it's going to happen. I'm, you know, right now, you know, they got their accreditation. The panel accreditation came, you know, they got it back, uh, you know, two weeks ago. And now, um, you know, they're going to try to do the, you know, the accreditation now is in. They're they're talking probably. I mean, everything is delayed. Yeah. So again, uh, you know, just because it, I think it could be four Q, um, which is why I'm a little frustrated with not with everybody not leaning into the big data for Nielsen right now because we're. I told you we're doing this on the futures, and the future is twenty four. So regardless if the accreditation happens in September and or January, it's going to be 24. Right. Yeah. I don't want to wait until September, October of 24 to do this again. It's, we all know it's not right. Yeah. Well, and there's also the argument that like, 
even though you know 24 is that actual deadline you probably if you're buy and or sell side want to have a baseline going into that so that you know okay what are your historical comps and so if the real deadline is q4 of 2024 then a soft deadline i would think is q4 of 2023 because you want to have those comps i mean we're going to do side by sides um you know regardless i'm I'm going to be pulling the big data for us. Um, the panel obviously is still available because that's what, you know, right now it's officially what everybody's using, but I will be doing side by sides, um, regardless if the holding company uh, leans in or not. Okay. How do you account for the, how much costs go up by having to support multiple measurement providers, especially if it's, you know, just the side by sides where it's not even for the currencies at the moment? Well, that's what no one's talking about. I mean, that's the, you know, I think that's what some of the holding companies are looking at and going, you know, how am I going to, am I going to pay for Nielsen and pay for VideoWamp and pay for iSpot and pay, you know, I don't think anybody's really focusing on that yet because we don't know which ones anybody's using. But competition is good because right now we only have one measurement company mm -hmm. with Nielsen. So competition could lower the finances. So it could go the other way, but I think that's what everybody's a little bit worried about is of having to pay multiple measurement companies. Right. Yeah. Cause it seems like even if, you know, that does get Nielsen to lower its take, then the overall costs still go up. There's also the added element. I forget who was, who said this to me, but there was someone I was talking to who was just like, well, here's the thing. Nielsen's costs are going up too because Nielsen's had this panel historically, and so it had fixed costs. Now, if it's having to pay for the, you know the big data and all the you know maintenance and tech that goes along with that, Nielsen's costs are going up. And so, is it just going to allow that to eat into its margins, or is it going to try to protect its margins in a way? And so, it, it seems like everyone's costs are going to have to go up overall. Yeah, time will tell. <laughs> Fun time. time will tell. Yeah. <laughs> Uncharted territory. Right. Speaking <laughs> of, um, I guess in a way, costs going up. So the like one of the big stories with the upfront the past few years is just like volume going up, rates of change going up. Buyers heading into this year are expecting the upfront market to be like the volume to be down. Some people I've talked to on the network side are just like. Yeah, it may be down. Or if, you know, I'm hearing that from the buyers that if the buyers are saying it's down, then it's probably going to be flat. If they're saying it's flat, it's going to be up. What's your, you know, read on how it's going to shake out this year, the market? It's a volatile market, no doubt. Um, you know, we're in, you know, we're in second quarter scatter as we speak. I believe that the money is there. I just believe that because the market is a little volatile and there's been so much, you know, the headlines and the banking issues that have been going on, that marketers are more hesitant to release it. So we have been seeing um, in Scatter, there actually hasn't even been a Scatter market. It's literally happening week by week, which is very unusual for, you know, a marketplace like that. So I do believe that the market is going to be less than it was last year for upfront purposes. But don't forget, a year is between upfront and scatter. So it just may not be put in the upfront, but it could come back in a scatter market. We are in a different position 
because we are such a huge growth driver for clients with our audience that we have been somewhat bucking the system. We're going to have a really good year this year. Yeah. What do you attribute, like speaking of that, so Q1 for your US ad revenue, it was up 2% year over year. And I mean, back in like March timeframe, I was talking to a lot of network execs about how Q1 you know, has been going and they were kind of across the board like, can we not talk about Q1? I really don't want to talk about Q1. But this was like early to mid March. And so Q2 cancellations had come in and everyone seemed pretty encouraged by those being pretty status quo. It wasn't like advertisers were just canceling their Q2 amounts. And so a lot of what I was hearing from the network execs was, I think the worst is behind us. For you all, it seems like the worst got behind you maybe even sooner, given again that you were up in Q1. Um, what do you attribute that to and how's Q2 looking? Yeah, listen, we've, we have massive momentum. And what I've been seeing over the past... Uh, I would say six plus months is that, and even with options, you just, you know, you mentioned it. It used to be that the Hispanic market or multicultural used to get cut first. That is not the case anymore. Because clients are really leaning into diversity and inclusion, they're realizing that the Hispanic audience is a growth driver. It is a, it is not the place that they cut first anymore. Listen, if they have to cut across the board, I'm not saying that we don't get cut, but they do it equally. Um, but we actually did not see massive cuts in second quarter, um, which was a huge, which was a great sign. I think it we're finally, finally at that tipping point that marketers are realizing that the Hispanic audience, given its potential and the growth that it has, is a huge growth driver for their business, short-term but also long-term. And that if they do not lean into this marketplace and this audience, that they long-term will not grow their business. It's 20% of the market that you can't ignore anymore. Now, the key is it also, what we talk about is in culture and language. Because a lot of conversations are, well, I can hit Hispanics and English language. And yes, you can. But Hispanics are bilingual, okay? Because they're bilingual and they may speak in English at work, that doesn't mean they want their messaging not to be in their language and in culture. And it actually resonates more and they lean in more when a marketer and a client is actually speaking to them in their culture because they get them. And we've now been having a lot of success, and we show a lot of case studies now to clients on what that success looks like. We have a huge growth growth opportunity because not all clients lean in. And so just this year, we added over another 100 clients coming in. The two categories that we are really pushing and working hard that is still underrepresented is pharma and financial. Those are the two areas that we have huge potential and upside with because they're not where they need to be. Not all the other media companies say that because all the media companies get all their all their clients. All the marketers lean into them. So, you know, we have a very resilient audience. So even during this economic 
turmoil. Our audiences feel very bright. Speaking of tumult, I I feel like we can't end the conversation without talking about the writer's strike and kind of how that is going to impact the ad market and how that's going to impact the upfront. Because it feels like at least everything that I read, everything I've heard from, you know, people, this isn't going to be quickly resolved. And with, you know, the DGA negotiations coming up, you know, next month, SAG-AFTRA coming up next month, those, you know, contracts are up end of June. And it doesn't seem like there's much hope um, really for the DGA to do a deal or SAG-AFTRA to do a deal and then to pressure the Writers Guild to get a deal done. And so the idea of writers being on strike, potentially actors and directors too, being on strike for months is going to disrupt programming pipelines. I mean, it already has when it comes to like late night shows, for example. How does that force you to adjust your upfront pitch or your ad pitch in general, given that you know some programming may not be available when you would expect? With the merger of... Uh... Televisa Univision, um, you know, our production, uh, huge production facilities come out of Mexico with Televisa. So we do a lot of uh, our own original programming. So you're not going to see us be uh, as affected as the other media companies. I do know, I mean, I wasn't at the New Fronts. I don't know if you were at the New Fronts. I know there was a lot of protesting and stuff, which was, which was, which was a kind of sad, um, you know, what I heard of. And, um, but I, we, um, I think we're going to be fine. Okay. We, we, we should be fine. Um, you know, the other ones, yeah, I do, I am seeing it on, uh, the late night shows already are doing reruns, but this happened last time it happened. I was going to say like, given that you have that experience, 2007, 2008. Yeah. Yeah, last time it happens. Basically, what everybody does is they'll go back and they'll look at their estimates just to see if the estimates that they're using will, you know, versus original programming versus repeats, um, you know, if they'll, you know, if there's a, you know, an, an estimate that they have to change for that. Um, but there is a lot of stuff that's already in the pipeline. So it's more of the, you know, obviously the late night shows that are probably the most, um, but they'll probably do that. But it ends up sometimes having a long-term effect later on. So they could start running some of the stuff that they already had if it's already, you know, already been done, especially like on streaming, right? If they've created all of their streaming programming already, but there'll be a lag time later on. Mm-hmm. And that's when you'll probably you'll probably feel it the most yeah. with the other media com- with the other media companies. Okay. Yeah, cuz that was another thing I was We will we will not have we won't have a problem. Okay. Cuz that was another thing I was curious to get your thoughts on is like what could be the potential like long-term implications of that cuz there's you know something I was reading over the weekend um, talking about, you know, the last, you know, strike in that 2008 time frame and, and it was, you know, making the case of, well, this could have contributed to the rise of like YouTube, for example, because YouTube was very early at that point. And so then audiences who didn't really have you know stuff to watch may have started watching YouTube just because they wanted something to watch. And so I don't know if you see any potential here um, for this to create or contribute to newer viewership, you know, formats. Well, What's, you know, with streaming now, because there really wasn't streaming then um, or to the extent there was, you know, you know, as a viewer or as a consumer, consumers will probably just start leading in and watching stuff that they didn't watch before. 
So there could be more trials, mm -hmm. right? People now starting to write, watch different shows that they never would have watched before on all their other streaming services. So I think streaming is going to, um, will benefit from this um, versus the broadcast networks. Got it. Okay. Um, Donna, there's a ton we could talk about. I'm sure I I'll know. I love, to I love talking to you. I love it. I, I love talking to you too, <laughs> so I appreciate you coming on. And um, yeah, maybe we'll have to have you on after the upfront or after, you know, the strike just to get your take on how things are progressing because everything seems to be changing week to week like you were mentioning with the scatter it is, market it, it's it's never a dull moment right. that's what i love about this business Absolutely. Um, it, it's it's always changing uh, which is great definitely. So, donna thanks again for taking on the show great talking you're welcome thanks tim and thank you for listening to the Digiday Podcast. Please don't forget to share this episode with someone who you think would enjoy it. You can even rate us on Apple Podcasts if you like. We'll be back next week with another episode.